Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game-related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. In this week's episode, we are going to be reviewing Underwater Cities, Quacks of Quellenberg, and Tapestry. And we're going to continue on in our series interviewing mental health professionals. This week, we're going to be sitting down with Jeff Parker. But before we get into any of the reviews, there is something I want to bring up to you, Natasha. Okay. And that is, I'm going to turn a new leaf. Uh-oh, what are you going to do? I'm doing it. I'm officially going to not poo-poo rolling rights. I'm really? Just going to, I'm going to Did accept Did you have a change roll- of heart? No, I didn't. I just, I feel <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like just I just. going to try really hard to like them? I'm going to do my very best to see if I can like them. Just take them as they are. Like it's one of those things that'll probably never be going away. So I figure I might as well. I'm gonna hop on the bandwagon. I'm gonna be all in Good. on rolling rights. That's been the problem is your attitude. So we can change that. I don't know. It's been there. It's been like that for a while now. <laughs> but I figured I would let you know. I'm trying to turn over a new leaf. We're, I'm trying to figure it out. So we'll see. We'll going, see. We'll play a rolling yeah. right and see if he changes his mind. <laughs> yeah, just whatever rolling rights I reviewed, add like a point to them and we'll be right where they need to be all right so let's go ahead and let's let's hop into some games okay this week uh i played underwater cities which is a card placement game designed by vladimir suchi art by oladrim and milam varvron published by rio grande games in this game players are the most brilliant minds in the world tasked with building the most livable underwater city they do this by using worker tiles to go to different action spots around the board matching the same color on their cards in their hand so they can do the action in the spot and on the card they play. The main concept of this game is that card placement. This game takes place over 10 rounds, broken up by production phases. Each round, players are going to have three worker tiles that they use to claim spots on the board. They also begin their turn with three cards in their hand. On their turn, the players are going to place one of their worker tiles onto an action space in one of three zones. Each zone has a unique color, green, red, and yellow. The cards in a player's hands also have one of these colors. Once they place their tile, they need to play a card from their hand. If the color matches the spot the worker tile is at, you get to use that card, which could be uh, an immediate benefit, a special power, additional actions, or even endgame scoring. If they do not match, then you have to discard the card with no effect. Ultimately, you want to line up the actions that you take with the cards in your hand to maximize your turns. There are quite a few actions available to perform from collecting resources to building different structures on your board that will produce resources during the production phase, upgrading those structures, or even moving up a federation track that determines starting position turn to turn. There are five structures you can build, tunnels, domes, farms, desalination plants, and labs. Players are attempting to make a connected network of domes because While players can build these different buildings in various spots on their player board, they don't actually become active until they've connected to your starting dome. Each building needs to be attached to a dome, and then each dome needs to be attached via tunnels. I think what makes this game awesome is that card play. Mm Mm-hmm, for sure. On the main board, typically the yellow action spots are the strongest, followed by red, then the green, but the cards are in kind of reverse where the green cards are actually more powerful than the red than the yellow. Yeah, I I think the heart of this game really is those the combo using the cards 
in the best way possible, right? You can go to any action space, but you want to use those few cards you have in your hand. And then you also, you build your city up to where you can produce and the, the better, the more things you have, the better you can produce. But that doesn't happen on every round. It, it takes like what, three or four rounds before you actually start producing anything. So those early turns, like you spend a lot of your actions, like gathering up some resources to be able to do anything. So it, it it flows very different than a lot of other games. Like it didn't feel familiar in that sense. Yeah, I agree because you almost start the game with barely anything and you're just scraping by until you can get to the next production phase. Mm -hmm. So the way the game is broken up is there are four rounds, then a production phase, three rounds, production phase, and then your final three rounds. And then you produce one last time. Right. And that kind of threw me off a little bit where like the first couple rounds I was playing, I was like getting myself set up to produce. But then I had like two more rounds to go before I produced anything. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm out of resources. You know, I, w- I didn't play it very well. So it was unique in that sense. I really liked it in, in that it made me think a little bit different than I normally would. Um, but I love the card, the car- being able to play your card and comboing that with the action that you're taking, like kind of the worker placement action. Yeah, it's really good. And what I like the most about it, like I said, is so the way the board is broken broken down is you really want to do those yellow actions because they're so much better than some Mm -hmm. of the other ones. But the yellow cards really aren't that great. So it has a nice balance of as long as you can chain the cards with the actions you take, you can usually still have really powerful, impactful moves, even if you're going to let's say the green spot instead of going to the yellow spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And being able to plan that out in advance really is the heart of the game. I think the strategy behind it. Yeah. I really liked it. I liked it a lot. Actually. It's a little, the, the, it was really pretty. I like the look of it and everything, but it felt a little chintzy. Like, I don't know what it was. If it was the pieces or the, the player boards it was a little flimsy. That would be my only complaint with the game. Which is weird. Cause production wise, it's, I think it's actually pretty solid because you get those little plastic domes. There's two kinds, right? Nice. There's the red ones. There's the like kind of more like translucent white ones. It looks cool once you've got them all set up on your board. But the player board itself is flimsy and the, the resources tokens are kind of chintzy. The, but the, the discs are nice that you put on your player board too. And the cards are nice. Yeah, for the most part, it seems like most of it's pretty decent quality. I think the expansion actually has recessed player boards. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I think they do. Hmm. That said, though, those the buildings, when you build a building, they're like those little round disks, and they're different colors based on the building. And Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even know it was at all. Those were nice. But when you they're upgrade fine. them, you have to like stack them, mm-hmm. and you can't be a bull in a china shop in this game, because if you tap that thing, everything's <laughs> just going to spill everywhere. It, just, it can get kind yeah. of frustrating to know where you yeah. were. I would say it's like middle of the road quality. Like I like the artwork and the look of it. You know, it was fine. I didn't, it didn't bother me at all. But that would be my like my only complaint that I could come up with. I I really like this game. It was just the right amount of strategy without feeling too overwhelming, but a lot of depth to explore. It makes me want to play it again and again. What did you think of the theme? Out of curiosity, I loved it. it was really something different. Mm-hmm. Okay, I like building cities and. You know, underwater cities is kind of cool. You know, it's all kind of on the artwork and stuff too. All comes out in the. Yeah, you have the little, you have the like little subs or whatever in the actual. Yeah, it felt yeah. very futuristic, which I like a lot, but still bright and colorful. 
This game often gets compared to terraforming Mars in a lot of ways, which... I could see the theme, but I don't think the way you play the cards, it's very, very different. I mean, you are building a tableau because sometimes when you... What I like most about those cards is as you play them, they're either either going into your tableau and giving you either production round around an additional mm-hmm. action to do or they're giving you some sort of benefit or you End get rid of scoring. them. Yeah. yeah, right. But you you end up getting rid of a majority of them. I think you keep less than you get rid of. Oh, Garrett, yeah, for sure. I imagine which, you Which do. made it feel really different. And that you have limited action. So you, this is more worker placement. Even though you don't have workers, you have a little cardboard piece, you know, that you place out on the on the, all the action selection spots on the board. So it really yeah. is worker placement, you know, but then you, you combine your worker with the card that you play. Yep. What I do like is, so there's, when you go through a production phase, you get a brand new deck of cards, right? So there's one, two, and three, and the decks are somewhat skewed to help you in those particular eras. So the first deck is kind of just trying to help you along with making sure you can produce resources, making sure you can do all these different things. Mm -hmm. And then as you progress, once you get into that very final deck, it's almost a lot more, you have a lot more endgame scoring objectives available to you. So you can filter through and find the ones you can score points on. Yeah, I really like when games do that. I think that's what Terraforming Mars, maybe Arc Nova, and Wingspan suffer a little bit from, is they have such a giant deck of cards. And, you know, the the heart of the game really is getting those card combos. But if you can't go through that deck, it can be really hard. Where this game, the cards you get, you're not comboing cards like you typically would in those games but it, i really like how they like level one level two and level three cards you're not getting crappy you're not getting useless cards that you aren't aren't going to use yes the, this game also approaches the cards when it comes to discarding slightly different because during my overview i said at the start of your turn you start the turn with three cards mm-hmm. that is because there are times in the game where you could go to an action spot play a card draw like two or three cards And then at the end of your turn, you're always drawing a card. So you could technically go into your next turn with a hand of, you know, six cards. Mm -hmm. But then you have to discard it. And what I like about that is it's a real clever choice because I can discard based on what's happened. Yes, I really like that. You don't have to do it on your turn. You've got time to think about it. You can spend your time thinking on everyone else's turn planning your move, and then at the start of your turn, you just discard the cards you're not going to use. I love that. Well, there's been times where I, I'll see my cards and say, okay, I'm probably going to discard this one because I don't really need it. And then all of a sudden, somebody takes the spot I'm trying to get. Mm-hmm. Well, now I'm just going to get rid of this other card because I want to make sure I'm going to that spot. And that whole creativity of you want to align the spots you're going to with the cards in your hand. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of times in this game where you really want to go to that one spot, but you don't have that card in your hand. Mm -hmm. So do you really want to go there? Do you want to suffer? Would you rather take two actions than just, or just one? Yeah. How badly do you need that action? Early on, I would never have taken an action without the card bonus. But then later on, those actions were so big and were going to score me a bunch of points. I was going to take the action no matter, even if I didn't have any cards to go with it. And I really like that tension that that brings to the game. I, I, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I really liked it. Well, and then talking about tension, the there's like this shift to which spots are more valuable 
throughout the course of the game. So in the very mm-hmm. beginning, it if you're the first player, chances are real likely you're probably going to be taking something that gives you resources, right? Yeah. Just because you don't have any. But mm-hmm. then at the very end of the game, those resource spots become far less lucrative. You're almost going for the spots that are going to give you end game scoring or allow you to you know, get to different spots on your board so you can score more points or whatever it happens to be. So there's this like gradual flip of, all right, those spots no longer matter. You know, the spots that people weren't going to in the beginning, now everyone's going to at the end and the ones that everyone's going to at the end, you don't go to in the beginning. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a nice arc to the game. Yes, very much so. And it actually doesn't play, I don't think it plays that long. It doesn't Feel long, doesn't feel long. You know? yeah. It doesn't feel near as long as Terraforming Mars. No, that game can definitely be long, especially if you're drafting cards. It can be mm-hmm. quite a bit longer. But so yeah, what um so what would you rate this game? I would give it probably an eight and a half. Okay. Yeah, I'm giving this game an eight out of ten. I really like it. It's not my favorite Vladimir Suchi game. But mm-hmm. I def yeah, I definitely like this game. I think it's a I think it's a really good game. If you haven't played it, you need to give it a try. I think it creates a lot of tension amongst the other players. I would recommend giving it a try if you're interested in that unique kind of car play, you know, compared to that terraforming Mars. I don't again, I don't think that's uh I think the feel of the card play is the only thing similar to Terraforming Mars. So if you don't like Terraforming Mars, I don't think you're naturally not gonna not like this game. <laughs> Does that make sense? You don't I think they're not gonna not like it. Wow, that's a, like how many double negatives can I throw in there? Jeez. <laughs> Even if you don't like Terraforming Mars, you might like this game. There you go. That's what I was trying to say. Thank you. Somebody, <laughs> somebody needs to help me here. Thank. Yeah, it's gonna be a long day. Um. So yeah, that was Underwater Cities. All right. This week I played Quacks of Quedlinburg. It's a bag building push your luck game designed by Wolfgang Warsh. Art by Dennis Lawson and Wolfgang Warsh, published by Schmidt Spiel. In this game, players are charlatans trying to create the best potion without adding too many cherry bombs that cause their pots to explode. So you'll prepare your potions by drawing chips out of your bag one by one until you're satisfied or until you bust. If you've successfully made a potion without busting, you get a few points and money to spend on more ingredients. The higher you are, the more points and the more money you get. The player who gets the highest amount gets an additional benefit. You get to roll this dice and whatever you get from there. If you bust, you decide if you want to take the points or the money. So it's really not terrible to bust. And it's often done very intentionally early on because it's worth losing just a couple points to get more money to spend. What makes this game so fun is pulling those ingredients out of the bag and seeing what you get. It's totally random luck what you pull out and the order of when you pull out certain ingredients really matters, but there's really very little you can do about it. So it's just plain fun. Yay, I got a mandarin or a mandrake after a cherry bomb so I get to remove the cherry bomb from the potion. It's just total fun when you get when you get to pull out exactly what you wanted to see. Yeah, this game is definitely push your luck, but I do think there's actually a fair amount of strategy in what you buy with your money. Yeah. Because there's so many options that you can pick from. Mm-hmm. And I side note, I want to talk about replayability real quick. Because the base box comes with several varieties, so the ingredients can be can do different things. Mm-hmm. I think there's like 
one or two ingredients that only do one thing, but like four or five ingredients, there's four different options for each of those ingredients. So four different ways you can play the game for each ingredient. So yeah, it really changes it up. Yeah, especially in a base game, like that's awesome to have, be able to have all those different, uh, to have all those options. Mm-hmm. Different ways to play, yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of strategy in what you pick. You can end up picking like, okay, I want to get a ton of tokens in my bag, so I'll buy all the cheap ones that are low value. But Or you could you know, spend all your money on like one four-point value, which gets you four spaces ahead, but there's only one of them, so you're less likely to draw it. You know, So there's definitely a lot of strategy in it, like you said. Um, and it's push your luck, but it doesn't feel like push your luck. Like you, when you bust, it's not a big deal. You know, especially early yes. on in the game, you just you just lose a couple points. But there's this catch-up mechanic where whoever is ahead, you look on the score track and however many rats there are between you and the person that's ahead of you, you get that to move your cauldron up a little bit. So you start off, you know, in a better position at the time when you're starting to make your potion. So I really like that catch-up mechanic. It just it makes it fun and it takes out the pain of having a really bad draw early on i agree because it there are times where let's take a different push your luck game for a second so let's take something like can't stop right Mm -hmm. where you're rolling you're rolling you're rolling and then if you bust you don't you're not placed on the board at all so your turn is completely useless yeah yeah you didn't it's like you didn't even do anything you didn't even Mm -hmm. show up right yep so in this game it it even if you bust you can still do something which i think is a very clever and smart choice to make you know, you can still get money or you can still get points. You get to pick one. You don't get both, but you get to pick one. So you still get something. Mm-hmm. So it's not that bad to to bust. But I also think based on length of game, if they didn't do that, there would be so much more feel bads yeah. when it comes to that. And I think that's the reason why Quacks works so well is because it still rewards you regardless if you've busted or not. Yeah, and then later in the game, if you bust, you might decide to take your points because you're higher up, so you're getting a lot of points, but not take any money. So then you just don't add ingredients, but you're fine because you've got a nice bag built up. Yeah, exactly. So you can, you know, maybe you don't you don't want to add anything else to it. You want to just mm-hmm. leave it the way it is and kind of see what you come up with. But I think that was a very clever choice that they made with that to make it so you still get something. Because again, that game can be, you know, what, 45 minutes to an hour? Yeah. Well, if you yep. bust, you know, two or three times, you know, mm-hmm. how many rounds is it? Or if you're too careful, you make sure you don't like there's like eight rounds, I think. Um, if you if you're too careful to make sure you don't bust, that's not good either because you might you know, you're not setting yourself up to get enough money to buy anything decent. So you sometimes like I'll be at seven and I'll keep going knowing I very likely could bust because you might still draw a couple more out, the, out there and get way up there in, in um, the track so you can get a lot more money. So it's just a lot of fun and and it, you just don't, it feels good. Like it's fun to get what you, what you wanted. And if you bust or if you don't end up drawing anything, who cares? It's just a light, fun game, but still with a lot of strategy. And it's just a great like couples night game, I think. It's a great family game. Yeah, I think it works really well with families mm-hmm. because, again, it's one of those things that as a gamer, you can be engaged by how you can try to combo those different ingredients together. Mm-hmm. And then in some ways, whoever wins isn't necessarily the person that created the best combo. 
No, yeah. It can you just know. be total random luck. Yeah. You know, so you got to know that going into this. If that, if that if you don't like that style of game, then you probably won't like it, but it's fun like I just can't imagine somebody not enjoying it. Yeah. I I agree. I think it's I think it's a really well done game, especially with the expansions. You know, there's a ton of replayability with all the different ingredients and everything like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what would you rate this, Bob? I'm going to give the game a 7 out of 10. Yep. That's exactly what I was thinking. I would give it a 7 out of 10. Did we just agree on something? Yeah. yeah. What? We, we agree. We have, we have some similarities. There's every now and again we do agree on something. I, wait, <laughs> side note before. Side note. Didn't you cheat at this game? Only because I didn't understand the rules. Did you? Now that I know you, the rules, I won't. Sure. Did you? Uh, did you win that game? Y- yes, because. Did you? When I you pulled lo- out more. When you, when you logged that play, did you put a little asterisk in it? There's no way to put asterisks in your. Uh, you can put a note. You can put a note in it and say, no. "Yeah, I won, but I cheated." Well, if I had to do that every time I cheated, it would just be a lot of writing. <laughs> That's just because I didn't understand the rules. I just messed up the rules in my yeah, favor. It was whoever was teaching you the game rules did a very poor job. It was not me. It was yep, <laughs> yep. But I learned, and now I now I know. So there you go. I'd recommend the, giving this game a try if you like bag builders, or if you like push your luck games, or if you're looking for a great family game. Um, this is the Quacks of Quedlinburg. Next up, I want to talk about Tapestry. This is a civilization game designed by Jamie Stegmeier, are by Andrew Bosley, and the sculpts are by Ron Brown. This game is published by Stonemeyer Games. In this game, players take on the role of different civilizations competing to create the most storied history. They do this by advancing on four different advancement tracks, science, technology, exploration, and military. On a player's turn, they can either advance on one of these tracks or they can collect income. Most turns will be advancing on the different tracks because once a player has completed their fifth income turn, their game is done. So there could end up being situations where players are going to finish the game at different times. To advance on the tracks, players will have to pay resources, which come in four types, coins, workers, food, and culture. These resources also correspond to the different tracks. So for example, Depending on how far you are in the military track, you may have to pay one culture and one additional resource of your choice. As players progress on these tracks, the costs become higher, but each spot on the track has an action associated with it. So as you climb the track, the actions become better and better. So to advance on a track, you pay the cost, then you take the corresponding action. The exploration track is exactly that. It gives you different tiles and allows you to place them on the central board, gaining benefits listed on those tiles. The science track usually allows you to manipulate your placement or gives you points based on the other three tracks. The technologies track lets you research and advance different technologies. The military track allows you to expand your presence on the main board. Progressing on these tracks allows you to build the four different buildings, which are farms, houses, markets, and armories. And these are actually going to go on a capital city board that is in your own personal player area. These boards are broken up into nine districts, which when filled give you a bonus resource. You want to move the different buildings onto your capital city board because they increase the income of the different resources you get when you take the income turn. Players will continue taking turns until each player has taken their final income turn. I think what makes I think what makes this game interesting is what it is and what it is trying to be are not in line. So <laughs> 
<laughs> that's what makes it interesting that it's that's just not it doesn't make okay. any sense <laughs> okay so let me explain so it says it's a civilization game right uh, yeah it does not feel like a civilization. i it is i do not think it is but honestly i don't really care and that's because you like the tracks it's tracks you want to go track track or track or track it's tracks the board game i love i love tracks and, <laughs> <laughs> I, and that's the thing is this game, yes, it's a civilization game, and you get civilizations, and they do unique things. But what this game is, is stretching your turns and resources out as much as you possibly can. You are trying to squeeze every last action you can out of this game. That is what you're trying to accomplish in this game. Mm-hmm. And you can spend the whole game not doing anything. You have to be really smart about it. I have not figured out this game. I keep trying because I really like it. Like I, I love it's a beautiful game. I love the look. Yes, I mean it's Andrew I like Bosley. the tracks. It's gonna be yeah, yeah. I like the tracks around the board. I like it's just gorgeous. The artwork on the cards is gorgeous. Um, I love tracks. Like, but I have a hard time wrapping my mind around like the how to get points. You know, okay, I can go there and get a few points based on where I am on this track, but I'm hardly up. I mean, based on where my buildings are on this area, but I don't hardly have any buildings out. I think I try to do a little bit too much. And you kind of got to focus on doing one thing really good, maybe. I don't know. I just It's a game that I have not figured out, and I keep wanting to come back to it because I really want to figure it out. I think that's what makes a good game, right? (laughs) Is the fact that you just want to keep exploring it. I keep going throughout the game, like trying to get a few points. Okay, and get points here, points here. And usually it's like five to 10 points. So it's not very many. But then all of a sudden, by the end of the game, someone's got like 150, 200 points. And I have no idea how they did that. You scored 200 points in the last game we played. Did I? Yeah, I have no idea how I did that. <laughs> I have no idea. It, so it's, yeah, the way you score points in this game, because that's, I will say, that's not necessarily super intuitive as to it's how you're going to. not intuitive at all. At all, it's like there's no like point. one goal. Yeah, I mean, there's besides goal. to get points, right? You well, know, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. What's your goal? To win? I mean, to get points. How do you get points? Well, you can get points four different ways because there's four different tracks. What are they called? Death by a thousand cuts or point salad? Right? You're just gonna yeah. score a bunch of little points across the thing. So yes, but not everything you do gives you points either. So it's not even like you you don't get a bunch of little points everything you do. Some things don't give you points at all. I don't know. You get you can get a bunch of little points. So the that you get most of your points you're going to get is through your income turn. Okay. So there on your player board you have. Uh, I didn't really go into the income turns, but on your you have four tracks on your little player board, and they have little your little buildings on them. And as you remove buildings, it's going to unlock spots, and those spots typically will give you additional resources. So but getting those will, buildings out—that's the goal of the game. Well, that's part of it because as you get those out, they're going to give you addition. They're going to give you more resources to do more things, but then they're going to score you points. So the technology one is going to score you points based on how many technologies you have. The culture one is going to score you points based on how many territories you control. That sort of thing, you know. The so you're going to be scoring a bunch of points that way. You do score points in game because there. I think the exploration track. At some point, you you score based on your positioning on some of the other tracks. So there's some in-game scoring. You're going to score points based off these tapestry cards, which I didn't talk about in the overview. But um, let's go ahead and like kind of jump into the tapestry cards real quick because the tapestry cards 
what happens is in an income turn, you take a card, which is a tapestry card, and you play it. And that's your sort of special power benefit you get for that particular era. Mm-hmm. So it could be you you're the only one that can advance on the military track or you can't advance on the military track because or anytime somebody else does you score three points. Mm-hmm. There's one I think there's a card called like socialism where you pick a track and then you either take your little cube and either move it you move it to the next closest person either back or forward so you get to pick. Mm-hmm. Right so they they manipulate the game in some way. And then, so those are actually going to score you points. I don't know. There's a, I think there's a lot of ways to score points. There is a lot of ways. And it feels very overwhelming. Like, what do I do? Well, you can do anything. You can, you can, you gotta, but you gotta focus on it. You can't just, but not everything will give you points. Like if you just try to just randomly do stuff, move randomly, you probably won't score a lot of points either. There's a lot of strategy, I guess. There's a lot to learn. This is not a game you're going to get out and just, figure it out right away probably not but i also don't think it's overly complicated what you do no because you, there's just you're a lot si- of iconography yeah but they they provide the player aids so it's usually not that bad i don't think <laughs> what bob loves this game i do i love it tell. so much oh i love it so much no so there's <laughs> but that's the thing it's not that complicated of a thing you if more more often than that you're advancing, the more complicated thing is the income, which you only do five times. But you pick a track, you move up the track, and then when you move up the track, you do whatever the track tells you to do. It's not complicated to play. It's complicated no. to play well. And I love how the a lot of the tracks play off of each other. For example, the military track, you're going around conquering territories. But in order to conquer territories, you need to explore more territories. So you need to like advance on the exploration track in order to continue moving on the military track, that kind of thing. I love that interplaying of stuff. Yeah, focusing on two tracks, I think, seems to be a, a good strategy. Yes. Clearly, I love this game. But there, there are a couple of things that like kind of frustrate me. And the first thing that I'm going to bring up is the imbalance of civilizations. So, yeah, they're wild. Yeah. So when this game was first published, it went out and it ended up becoming aware that certain factions did better than other factions. So then they came out with an errata that adjusted the faction powers a little bit, mm-hmm. which I don't know. I I like that kind of frustrates me because it feels like the game wasn't developed enough to eliminate those issues. Mm-hmm. But I got to give credit to Jamie Stegmeyer for recognizing that he probably didn't have the ability to do the kind of play testing it needed. So he created a form. When you get done with a game, you can actually log in and say, all right, these are the factions that were played. These were the points that were scored. And then based off that, he's made changes. So like one starting faction that could be you just get an additional resources. I think there's one faction that gets you like, 50 extra points to start off with or something ridiculous so i know there was one that you have to start off in the negative you go negative points because the the faction was so strong right so there's these like imbalances in the game that uh, i feel like shouldn't be there Mm -hmm. it doesn't bother me as long as they find a way to bet like when we play it we play it with the you know we compensate with those recommendations and then it's fine so that well i don't give you yours oh okay (laughs) 
yeah, yeah. I don't. That's the last thing I want to do is give you your your like extra benefits. <laughs> Maybe but that's yeah, why it, I don't do so well. <laughs> that's why we're playing online is a little bit easier. But yeah, that that stuff frustrates me that it's like that. But at the same time, I honestly just don't even care because of how much I like this game. Mm-hmm. What I'm curious, what do you want to rate this game? I would rate it a seven because I I think it's gorgeous. I love the look of it and I want to really like it. And maybe it'll go up once I play it more and get better at it. Okay. But right now I just struggle struggle coming up with a plan and knowing how like normally when I sit down to play a game, I have a plan of how I'm going to win, or at least I know what I'm going to do each turn. Every turn I can go, okay, I can do one of three things and this one will give me the most points. So I'll do this, or this one will benefit me the most later. So I'll do it. This game, I don't know what to do. I, I don't, I cannot ever find that. Which one's going to give me the most points or which one's going to be, give me the best benefit to give me more points later. Like I just can't hone in on that. And I really struggle with that. That's my only complaint of this game, but I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep playing it to see if I figure it out because I enjoy it. How it's all interconnected with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to play it forever. I'll eventually like either figure it out or quit. <laughs> <laughs> Once you figure it out, you're just done. I'm giving up on it. No, 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 I'll figure it out and then I'll like it and keep playing it or I won't figure it out and I'll quit and I'm like, I'm done with this game. Yeah, this this game is stupid. <laughs> All right. So real quick. I have some the grievances I have against this game. It is its identity is kind of not where it's actually says it is. It says it's a Civ game. I don't think it's a Civ game. Mm-hmm. The factions are imbalanced, but he's gone ahead and done enough researcher compiled enough games to change that which i think makes up for that fact there are runaway leader problems there was a game that we played the first player had like 300 and some points the last player had like 80 Mm. so there are moments where that can happen but even with all those flaws there's just something about this game and the way it all kind of comes together oh the little the little um capital city board one of the things that's kind of, like you have those nine districts, but then you have like water scattered throughout. So there's spots you can't build. Mm-hmm. Well, if you get a building, cause you can get these like landmark buildings by progressing on the tracks. When you place them in there, you can actually place them in such a way that they're like off the board, mm-hmm. which doesn't make sense thematically to me. And some of them, they tell you the dimensions of it. So it can be like two squares by four squares, but sometimes they don't actually fit in the square. So sometimes you're like, I wonder exactly how that's sitting in there. <laughs> Despite all that, even with all those flaws, I love this game. I'm giving this game a 9.5 out of 10. Wow. I, I, I love it. It just, it clicks with me. It's one of those games that, yes, you want to play some tapestry. I am down. So I would definitely recommend giving this game a try if you like the Civ theme because you do have those civilizations which give you player powers and stuff. As a real simple rule set, you're just progressing on tracks. Like, yes, the iconography you have to get through, but I think it's one of those things that, you know, after a play, you'll have a pretty good idea of what the icons do. You know, it has a real simple rule set. I think there's a lot of strategy to the game. There's a lot of things to explore, especially with those tapestry cards with all the different civilizations you can be. I, I definitely think you need to give this one a shot. That one is Tapestry. 
All right, so that is going to wrap up the games we've been playing. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to be joined by Jeff Parker, LMSW, who uses games in his therapy sessions. All right, we are back, and this week we are joined by Jeff Parker, a LMSW who practices out of the central Arkansas area. Thanks for being here, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So what do you do in your practice? Like what kind of populations do you serve? Like what kind of therapy do you provide? Um, so I actually work with uh, kids and adults. Um, uh, I'm kind of like in this weird situation where I do school-based a couple days a week and then do outpatient um, the rest of the days. So I think um, youngest is maybe like five currently and the oldest is probably mid-60s. Oh, so awesome. kind of all over the board, yeah. Yeah, huge range. <laughs> And as far as like, um, my primary focus is probably like trauma. I do a lot of trauma work. Um, and then obviously with kids do a lot of behavioral interventions. Nice. So how do you like to incorporate board games into your sessions? Do you use them specifically with just kids? Do you use them for the entire like scope? What, like, how do you incorporate games? Okay. So, um, obviously with the kids, I do a lot, um, but I don't like to limit it just to kids. Uh, however, the adults, I don't think it's kind of a, a more broad thing. It's very uh, focused in on individuals who would benefit from specific things from it. Primarily with, with adults, it's more of a group activity thing uh, with a focus more on like anxiety or exposure therapy, things like that. With the kids, it's more uh, behavioral interventions and teaching like consequences and things like that. I think, uh, well, I guess a good place to start is maybe with the kids. And so with kids, uh, I do a lot of like Uno and um, Flux has been a really big one that I've found recently that uh, works really well. I've got another one called Beast of Balance, which is uh, maybe not quite as a popular one. Um, it's a dexterity-based game, and that one seems to work really, really well. Yeah, that's the one where you're stacking stuff, right? Yeah, Um kind of like reverse Jenga almost. Um, yeah. But it, yeah. the kids really seem to like it because it has a, um, it uses an app that goes with it. And so you scan the piece uh, and then it shows it on the app when you place it. And so they get this real feedback of like seeing what they're doing in the game digitally and, and it gives them a lot of feedback. So. so how do you approach that with a, you know, with consequences and achieving the income or achieving the outcome you're looking for not achieving it how does that how do you approach that with specifically with like piece of balance uh yeah so that one the way the game works is when you scan it uh, the the animals will appear on the digital display but then they have like um, kind of like life points or whatever and you really have to balance what you put on what you play next to ensure that they stay alive and so it lets them see those real consequences of like what they're doing and how it affects the the digital characters. Um, and then at the same time, you can kind of reinforce um, the coping skills and things like that. You know, take deep breaths before we place this and think about, is this going to work where you place it? And if not, what might happen? I'll see a lot of like slow down. Yeah, kids like to just kind of, they don't like to think about <laughs> forward thinking, you know? I think that's one of those things that you just develop, you're supposed to develop as you like age and even like some adults don't even think about stuff like that, you know, <laughs> there's definitely a lot of that, a lot of rushing around in a lot of things. And, um, because of the, because it's a dexterity game, I think it really forces that slowdown in a lot of ways that maybe the other games, uh, don't. Do you see the impact these games have on the kids? Oh yeah, sure. Um, you can definitely 
like from the first time I play with them where they're just kind of jumping into it real quick and willy nilly just doing whatever, you know, it's like, Oh, this is something fun and do. Um, maybe after the first few times of playing it, then you really see them kind of apply some of those coping skills. Sometimes, you know, they'll go to pick out which piece they're going to use next and they don't just grab one randomly because they would like the way it looks. They're looking through and saying, okay, well, I'm going to get this one because this provides what I need for this, animal to stay alive and then they look at it and see oh well is there anywhere that it fits and sometimes we'll even see them doing the coping skills taking some deep breaths or something before they place it because they're very nervous and mm. yeah it's it's really nice to see that kind of progression over time as we play the games and then they use those skills out in the real world hopefully <laughs> that's the goal um, that's <laughs> yeah the plan, that's the right? goal yeah. yeah that's the goal what types of skills are you trying to teach then with adults then incorporating board games Typically with adults, I think it's more focused on like um, anxiety is a real big one. And so like the games that I'll tend to focus on um, because we do the groups. Um, Quelth is one that I really like um, just because it's so absurd um, and it, it really forces that like exposure therapy. People who are really averse to putting themselves out there. I haven't played that one. What, are they, what do you do in that game? Um, so Quelth is kind of a party game, uh, maybe like a more mainstream, I think. You, you'll find it at like Target or Walmart or things like that. But mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think of something comparable, like an old school Trivial Pursuit or something like that, mm-hmm. except uh, you go around the board and then the different categories are like, you might have to do something like there's like performance or answer a question or other oh. random things. And and so they're all really abs- just really crazy things. Um, one of the cards, you have to put a shoe on top of your head and balance it there until your next turn. or you might have to keep a card secret and like whenever someone says your name you have to quack like a duck Um, (laughs) and just really crazy stuff that pushes you out of your comfort zone oh yeah i can see that especially in front of strangers i can imagine that man you're always trying to monitor the way people perceive you so to like just randomly be in front of strangers and be like, you know what? I'm going to take a shoe and put it. I got to take this shoe and put it on my head or whatever. I imagine that's got to, got to be a big step for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very jarring. Um, and I try to, uh, with, with some of the games, I'll try to uh, join into the game as well to kind of help model that and provide a, a sense of, Oh, okay, well he's doing it. So I'm not the only one who looks like an idiot, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Safety is safety in numbers. I think that yeah. would be good for teens too, you know, middle schoolers who are really self-conscious. That's just a time in your life where you're just embarrassed about everything, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. That reminds me of the game, uh, is it Happy Salmon? The one where you're flipping over cards and you have to like high five people and do a variety of different things. Mm-hmm. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I don't know if I've heard of that one. It's a chaotic game where you have to rush around and find somebody who has to do the same thing you have to do. It'd be, it'd be a good one for you, I bet. I bet you'd, you'd yeah, you gotta like, like it. do Yeah, you're trying to like, I think you're trying to, uh, you. so you have the deck of cards and you're trying to go through it. And, you know, I think it's, I think you can have like up to six players, but you're going through the deck and then it's like, all right, I need to fist bump somebody. So, okay, let's, you and I are going to fist bump or whatever. And then, oh, we got to have to high five. We got to cluck like a chicken or do a variety <laughs> of different things to get through these, uh, to get through the deck of cards. Oh yeah, no, that sounds great. Is, is that one more of a, like a cooperative, like you all get through the deck and then win together or like, yeah, I don't, honestly, I don't know if I've ever played where you win. 
I think it's just like, <laughs> it's like any other part. Like, what party game have you ever played and actually like done points and at the right? Time, no, right? that's like, true. Yeah, I I won Dixit. You did? Like, you can win Dixit? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good point. Yeah. So we we had the opportunity to interview another clinician uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I I I, I pose this question to her, and I'm curious your perspective because one thing Natasha and I had talked about is losing in board games. Yeah. And we had talked about if do we lose, do we give ourselves some sort of restriction? Is that anything that you see in your practice where, especially with let's say kids, for example, do you ever make sure I don't want to say make sure you win, but do you ever put yourself in a position or just say, All right, you know what, I'm winning this game and I'm we're gonna teach being a gracious winner, gracious loser, whatever <laughs> it happens to be. Do you ever do that? I would say, honestly, most of the time with kids, I play just like I would play any other time. I, I play to win, especially if we're like doing Uno or something like that. Yep. I will mm-hmm. find myself, if I've won like three, maybe like three games in a row, then I'll maybe intentionally make some plays that aren't bad, but they're not optimal, yep. um, maybe to give give uh, my client a chance to to win. So I do find myself doing that. And and I've, there, I've got one kid in as soon as you asked that, like he came to mind and <laughs> um, he really struggles with that, like losing mentality, but not just the losing. He also struggles with winning when he'll win. He, he's very like kind of those in your face and things like that. And we've really worked a lot on that. And, um, and I've actually noticed a, a vast improvement on that. I think it's, it's been really good for him to learn to take defeat or success gracefully um, kind of in, in all aspects of, of his life. You tend to learn more when you lose than when you win. You know, you get you get more skills by failing than you will be by succeeding, right? Yeah, which unrelated to, I guess, board games as much, but sometimes I'll even find myself using video games in practice, hmm. like uh, one specifically for anger management, talking about, you know, kind of learning to, to deal with defeat. Um, I've had kids play Super Smash Brothers, uh, yep. just them, and I'll put them against like three player team of CPUs, like on the hardest difficulty. And, you know, there's no possible way they're going to win just as a way to teach them, like, you know, use those coping skills and it's okay to lose. And yeah. Do you ever see couples in your sessions? Um, I don't actually. Um, I mean, obviously I work with people who have relationship issues, but um, I think one of the really important things about being a clinician is recognizing your limitations and, and areas where uh, maybe you're not going to provide the best service. And I know that relationships is something for me that, that I don't think I'm, I would be effective at. And, and I've got some biases there that are going to impact the way that I provide services. That's probably one of the best things you can do with your client is if you can't provide them, you would be doing them a disservice by providing your services to them. Right. So why do you think board games work so well? I don't, you know, I've never really thought about that. Um, or at least in the broad context, uh, obviously with kids, it provides something for the kids to do because it's so hard to hold their attention. Um, mm. you know, with an adult, we can sit there and talk for an hour about really emotional stuff and, and difficult things. And they're okay with that because they know that, you know, the purpose of this is to help them and to work through this stuff. Kids are like, I don't want to be in therapy and I don't want to talk. And so mm-hmm. it provides that structure, provides something for them to do while you know you get to the deeper things 
like Uno is a great example. I will use that where, you know, when you play a red card, you have to talk about something that makes you angry. A blue card, you have to talk about something that makes you sad. Or, and I think that's a pretty common one that a lot of clinicians do, but it, it provides a structure. So do you have any recommendations for parents, like uh, if we're not clinicians and, you know, how we can use board games to, you know, help teach our kids these uh, social skills? Yeah, I think the biggest thing isn't necessarily about what board game you're playing at all, um, Mm -hmm. but just modeling those skills effectively during whatever game you're playing. You know, be the gracious winner, be the gracious loser, uh, (laughs) congratulate them, um, admit when you've made a mistake or you've done wrong, you know, express your feelings. I think that's the biggest thing for parents to do is to just model those appropriate behaviors uh, throughout and it doesn't matter you know like I said what game you're playing as long as you're playing games that's the most important part right yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you, gotta get, you gotta get them in the games yeah one of the things that I really like to try and incorporate is like cooperative games but I've been really struggling to try and figure out how to do that I've been kind of contemplating um, and I don't know what your, your opinions are of cooperative games because I know it can be a very uh, oh I love them mm-hmm. yeah I think they're great so. Bob loves them yeah. Okay. Natasha, Natasha doesn't know what good games are, so that's her no. problem. I don't like the <laughs> style that most cooperative games are. I don't mind. It's not that I dislike cooperative games. I just don't like most cooperative games. I think I know why you don't like cooperative games. I think I figured it out after mm-hmm. all these years. I think it's you, at one point you've mentioned you like when you can just you don't like at the end of a turn flipping over and getting something bad. Mm-hmm. And that's all <laughs> yeah, cooperative that's all, games yeah. are like when it's not your turn somebody else's turn something bad is usually always happening yeah i think I that's like that, the reason yeah. why you don't like that yeah yeah those, that, those, those style of cooperative games are really popular that's typically what they are and those just aren't my style so it's not that they're cooperative it's that it's right. that theme you know i think the biggest my biggest struggle with cooperative games for the longest time is um when i first started playing them i was like oh i love this you know i think maybe pandemic was the first one that i played yep. mm-hmm. um but then i realized that a lot of the time the games devolve into like who is the best at this game and they just kind of say oh well this is what we should do so it's they're just playing a single player game with other people like as Mm -hmm. proxies of them Mm -hmm. and and i find that that is difficult and one of the main reasons that i don't like a lot of cooperative games Mm -hmm. and so trying to find that a way to use it in practice is also difficult because of that i don't want one person to kind of take it over yeah you could maybe do when you have just a one-on-one session, just the two of you play together. So my wife and I play a decent amount of cooperative games and I've, I've drilled this point home quite a bit, I think, but when it comes to us playing like pandemic or any of these style cooperative games, what it usually ends up happening for us is whoever's turn it is ultimately is making the decision, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean her and I aren't going to talk about, you know, what things are coming up. So a lot of times, like take pandemic. Okay. For example. All right. We know we haven't had an epidemic card, so we'll be talking about like, okay, you know, we haven't had an epidemic card in a while. Chances are we're probably going to flip one pretty soon. You know, um, Tokyo or whatever, it looks like it's going to break out because it has, you know, three cubes on it, whatever, this kind of thing. But at the end of the day, if it's my turn, I'm, I make the final decision. And if it's her turn, she makes the final decision. Like we'll talk about it and we'll talk maybe strategy or whatever and present a couple different options where we can go. Because a lot of times with pandemic, that's what it is, right? You have a, a variety of things you can do and you just have to pick one. At the right. end of the day, like you're, it's your turn. You you decide. You know, I if we win together, 
or we lose together based on the individual decisions we make on our turns as we like talk about the all of it together if that makes sense yeah i don't know if either of you are familiar with a game called flatline that one's probably my favorite cooperative game just because it the mechanics of it keep you from engaging in that so the game has a timer that uh, you roll dice and then you have that timer. I think it's like one minute um, and you have to place all your dice within that time frame. And, but every care, every player does. And so you still get to like talk about it before that. You're like, oh, well, this is what we should do. And I think this is what's the most important. But then you start the timer and roll your dice. And it's so hectic that you don't have time to place all your dice and tell other people where to place theirs. And you don't know yeah. what there's going to be. So. That's awesome. It's Fuse, the next inter- integration of Fuse. Yeah. Yep. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I love Fuse. Yeah. So she likes chaotic. Oh, you chaotic, would probably enjoy uh, that then. Mm-hmm. I would I would like that one, yeah. So what are your, some of your uh, personal favorite games? Um, so personal flavor, favorite, uh, like I said, I do love Flatline. My current favorite is actually Planet Apocalypse, which is a, a cooperative game. Some of my other favorites, party games. Uh, I've got a game called Pitch Storm. Uh, that's great. And that's actually one that I'll use in the groups with adults where you get a few different cards with like a character and a plot line and you have to pitch a movie mm-hmm. with those things. Um, but then, it, you know, very akin to like Cards Against Humanity kind of thing. But the judge has uh, these other cards and at any point during your pitch, he'll interrupt you and be like, OK, I love that. But what if we made it part of a trilogy? How would that work? And so then you have to like. <laughs> midstream of pitching this movie you have to come up with you know (laughs) something else and um i really enjoy that one that one's probably my favorite party game currently i can see that you know building a lot of skills thinking i like that yeah that That sounds fun yeah it's a good one that like forces you you know to to talk and uh think quickly on your feet uh competitive probably um wingspan is, is still still my favorite competitive one Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really enjoying that. I just got creature comforts in, um, but my wife is doing her clinicals for her school. And so she's been away doing that. And so we haven't had a chance to play it, unfortunately. Yeah, I've 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 seen that game around. And it's one of those games that's definitely intrigued me. The artwork has kind of caught my eye. And I kind of want to... Plus that company, it's... Uh... It's like kids board game tables or board game. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's interesting because it's like four kids, but it's actually... They're actually pretty solid meaty games if i remember correctly but so we're always kind of curious how did you grow up into board games like what is your what is your story like do you have any did you play a bunch of games as a kid you know the clue monopoly all that and just kind of transition so it's kind of i mean it was but i guess there was more of a growth than that so i always grew up playing board games we played with uh my grandparents and my parents um i remember playing tons of dominoes and all uh, like card games, you know, we would play spades or rummy or uh, hand and foot and, and all these different things. I remember playing those uh, with grandparents and, and parents. And then at home, you know, we just had the typical board games. We had Monopoly and, and Clue and some of those. And so played some of those as well. And then, oh, I was probably about 12 or 13. And I saw, I was at the store with my mom and I saw a pack of Magic the Gathering cards. And I think this was right when Ice Age had come out, maybe. And I was just so intrigued by it. And so I got really into magic and then, you know, Pokemon and other things as I went through my formative years. And um, when I, I don't know, I was a young adult. I had a friend who, I guess at college, some of his friends had introduced him into board games. 
And then he introduced me to like Settlers of Catan. And it was just like, oh, wow, this is, you know, I've always loved these games and this is like a whole new level. And and I guess that was kind of where it really took off. Where I was like, okay, yeah, this is something that I love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually have uh, my grandfather, he passed away a few years ago and uh, he had a custom set of dominoes made for him. That's like got a nice box, wooden box and everything. And so I actually ended up getting that. And so that's probably like my prize piece of my collection. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Off topic, you and I sure. uh, exchanged <laughs> a little communique about you building a tiny house and I want to talk about it. All right. Yeah. There's the tiny house like movement is has always intrigued me. I don't know if I could live in a tiny house, but like <laughs> so you're building your own tiny house, correct? Yes, building it all. Uh I have so when you think about tiny houses, um there are kind of two different versions. The like mobile version or the like you build it on a on a frame. And so we're building ours uh mobile. So uh, we bought a used trailer, like a flatbed, flatbed trailer, and that's what we've been building it on. Is it going to have room for your board games? Most of them. I'm having to oh, downsize no. the collection <laughs> some, so yeah. I've, I've been going through that lately and kind of picking out, okay, well, which ones are most important? Which ones do I have to keep? Mm-hmm. Oh, people are just all of a sudden now chomping at the bit. They're like, how much are you selling them for? <laughs> <laughs> are they are they new and shrink? I need to know if they're new and shrink or not. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, it, it makes me sad because I'm going to get rid of some ones that I really like and they're really good. Uh they just don't see the table enough. Like um, I've got second edition Arkham horror with a few of the expansions yep. um, and those are, you know, not super easy to find these days. And so I'm, I'm sad to, to let some of them go, but how big is, how big is the trailer? So uh, I wanted to say it's 36 or 38 feet on the bed, but uh-huh. we also built onto the tongue. And so it's like 42 feet long total. How tall is it going to be? Like, I mean, it's like 13 feet total from the ground, but you know, you've got the wheels and stuff. So I want to say it's about like 10 foot high or a little more. Okay. And then there's like a loft and uh, under the loft, I've got a little um, office area where I'm going to have my computer and my wife's computer and uh, all that'll be in there. And then we've got uh, all one big room will be the kitchen and living room and dining room. There is a bathroom with a storage area underneath. And then stairs going up to the master bedroom, which is on top of the tongue. Can you actually call it a master bedroom or is it like. <laughs> so we, we're, we are going to fit a, a king size bed in there. Oh my so, God. Um, there's not a lot of other room in there, but, but we will have the king size bed in there. So, so it can be a master. It can be a master bed. Yeah, we we will call it a master bedroom because it has the, the king size bed. Um, <laughs> so did you like buy plans for it did is it all just like out of your head so yeah kind of just out of my head um the house i'm living in now uh we've done basically a full remodel on it and and i did some before we got married and then after we finished up some other things and so i've kind of learned it all as i've gone and then my wife her father built houses growing up that's what he did he owned his own company building houses and he helped uh, she helped him a lot with that and so she already knew a lot of things as well just kind of combined our knowledge and, and put it together. And yeah, I mean, I've done everything I even done or, or I even did um, a little bit of welding, which turned out terribly. And then I got a buddy of mine who actually knows how to weld to come back and fix it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But we've, we've done everything. I've did the framing. I ran the electrical, I've ran the plumbing the thing. I didn't do was the siding. It was the middle of summer and uh, I couldn't find anybody who could help me. And that's not really a one man job. So I hired yeah. that out. 
how close are you? Like how close to being done? Maybe six months ago, hopefully, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know, probably two or three months I would hope to be done. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. I've always, it's always intrigued me. I had a buddy of mine, um, this was probably eight years ago, maybe to ask me to help him build one. And I was like, dude, I'm all in. I'm down. Let's do this. And it, it never ended up happening. But it, it's like I said, the just the creativity that you have to put into storage. Yeah. How everything needs there. It's almost like everything needs to have a very specific purpose. There's no room for extra fluff. Mm-hmm. It'll keep your keep your stuff down. Yeah. You won't own things you don't need. So we're really excited about getting rid of all of our stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Natasha's pretty minimalistic. Yeah. I don't like to keep stuff I don't need. I get rid of a lot of stuff, except for the go. only thing they have excess of is my board game collection. <laughs> what you done? There you go. You have Jeff, man. Just ask him to build you a tiny house. Commission no, him to build you no. a tiny house. I want a giant house with lots of empty room and empty walls. <laughs> That's what I want. I just want a big, echoey, empty, cold feeling home. No, no, yeah. I put, I put uh, rugs and curtains in. So, tell <laughs> rugs. There might be artwork on the walls too. We'll see. I never, you never know. My husband yeah. hangs up all the artwork on the in the walls, so that it looks cozy. <laughs> but yeah, I like. I don't like to like because yeah, all you do with extra stuff is pick it up all the time. That's all I do with all our stuff. So pick it up. Yeah, Get rid of it I guess all. I can. Uh, yeah, I guess I can yeah. see that. It's funny whenever you buy a house, you always like grow into your house, and you always forget how much stuff you have. Like. Uh-huh. It's a good way to cut down, yeah. Every time you move, you cut down. And you're not planning on living there forever, are you? You're just... No. Yeah, it's just a temporary thing until we kind of... Um, we're going to try and save up and build our own cheering home eventually, mm-hmm. so... Nice, yeah. It's nice to have those skills, too, to be able to do that. All right, I have one final question for you. It's it's nothing we let you um, know about ahead of time. Okay. But last question. It's board game night. You have people coming over. What is your go-to board game snack go to board game snack oh man okay so do you want specifically snack or food because oftentimes we we eat on board game night too but we try not to do that while gaming because you know then stuff well i'll take both i'll i'll hear both yeah i'm cool with that Uh, snack and snack and food yeah okay snack and food okay so usually with food uh i really like to grill and so we'll you know do something on the grill whether it's like brats or burgers or, or something like that mm-hmm. um or if i'm lazy then we just order pizza <laughs> um, <laughs> fair, yeah fair enough yep as far as snack oh man i guess i've never really thought about what my favorite snack is for snacking on bob is particular about his snacks he's very particular about the there's snacks. a wrong answer here there's a wrong answer no I, not my <laughs> there is if you bring it to my board game night yeah yeah no i just i'm open okay. to anything but lies, lies. You bring the same thing over every single time we have a board game thing. Um, honestly, probably chips and dip. But when I say chips and dip, um, it has to be like just plain chips, like Tostitos or Fritos, because mm-hmm. you you can't have like Cheetos and stuff, because then you get Cheetos dust on the yeah, material. The, on the yeah, the powder. Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah. So, yeah. um, just regular chips with some kind of dip, usually like a, a cheese dip or a hamburger dip. That I'm cool with that. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good choice, sir. Good so, choice. what was what's the wrong answer? I have to know. Cheetos, <laughs> Cheetos. <laughs> anything, anything, like, anything with, that gets your hands greasy, yeah, yeah, or um, crummy, like uh, powdery. Yeah, Bob is really are... particular. He doesn't like people getting crumbs on his table either. No, I'm. I, I get 
I can get behind that 100%. Yeah, I've thank you. Like, that's every not that single weird. one of my games. So I'm, I'm one of those guys. I'm like, oh, I got a new game. We can't play it. I don't have sleeves yet. No. So, thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody to join my cause. No. Exactly. None of my over games here. have sleeves. You know, oh, the, the funny thing is with the snack thing, Natasha thinks like, oh, yeah, I'll eat whatever. But I if you, if we, if we ever have like a board game day, night, whatever it happens to be, and, not, and Natasha comes over, she's going to bring the exact same thing. And I that's know just because I have is. a favorite. It, that's what I'm saying is that trail mix. You have the wasabi little, little <laughs> trail mix thing. Uh-huh. Everyone brings like everyone has their thing. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week where we're going to have another special guest. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Send us your questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us and have a great week. See you next week. <laughs>